you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. You would please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 9. We're going to start at the beginning of chapter 9, and we're going to read through the first 11 verses of chapter 10. This is God's Word. Listen, Israel. Today you are about to cross the Jordan to enter and drive out nations greater and stronger than you. With large cities fortified to the heavens, the people are strong and tall, the descendants of the Anakim. You know about them, and you've heard it said about them, who can stand up to the sons of Anak? But understand that today the Lord your God will cross over ahead of you as a consuming fire. He will devastate and subdue them before you. You will drive them out and destroy them swiftly as the Lord has told you. When the Lord your God drives them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord brought me in to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. Instead, the Lord will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness. You are not going to take possession of their land because of your righteousness or your integrity. Instead, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness in order to fulfill the promise he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Remember... And do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God in the wilderness. You have been rebelling against the Lord from the day you left the land of Egypt until you reached this place. You provoked the Lord at Horeb, and he was angry enough with you to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant the Lord made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I did not eat food or drink water. On the day of the assembly, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets inscribed by God's finger. The exact words were on them, which the Lord spoke to you from the fire on the mountain. The Lord gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant, at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord said to me, get up and go down immediately from here. For your people, whom you brought up, brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way that I commanded them. They have made a cast image for themselves. The Lord also said to me, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Leave me alone and I will destroy them and blot out their names under heaven. Then I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. So I went back down the mountain while it was blazing with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. I saw how you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made a calf image for yourselves. 
you had quickly turned from the way the Lord had commanded for you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them from my hands, shattering them before your eyes. I fell down like the first time in the presence of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I did not eat food or drink water because of all the sin you committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and angering him. I was afraid of the fierce anger the Lord had directed against you because he was about to destroy you. But again, the Lord listened to me on that occasion. The Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But I prayed for Aaron at that time also. I took the sinful calf you had made and burned it. I crushed it, thoroughly grinding it to powder as fine as dust, and threw its dust into the stream that came down from the mountain. You continued to provoke the Lord at Taborah, Massa, and Kibroth Hatava. When the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, he said, Go up and possess the land I've given you. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You did not believe or obey him. You have been rebelling against the Lord ever since I have known you. I fell down in the presence of the Lord forty days and forty nights because the Lord had threatened to destroy you. I prayed to the Lord, Lord God, do not annihilate your people, your inheritance, whom you redeemed through your greatness and brought out of Egypt with a strong hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Disregard this people's stubbornness and their wickedness and sin. Otherwise, those in the land you brought us from will say, because the Lord wasn't able to bring them into the land he had promised them, and because he hated them, he brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. But they are your people, your inheritance, whom you brought out by your great power and outstretched arm. The Lord said to me at that time, Cut two stone tablets like the first ones and come to me on the mountain and make a wooden ark. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets you broke, and you are to place them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, cut two stone tablets like the first ones, and climbed the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. Then, on the day of the assembly, the Lord wrote on the tablets what had been written previously, the Ten Commandments that he had spoken to you on the mountain from the fire. The Lord gave them to me, and I went back down the mountain and placed the tablets in the ark I had made. And they have remained there as the Lord commanded me. The Israelites traveled from Beeroth, Bene Jachin, to Moserah. Aaron died and was buried there, and Eliezer, his son, became priest in his place. They traveled from there to Gudgoda, and from Gudgoda to Jatbatha, a land with flowing streams. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the Lord's covenant, to stand before the Lord to serve him, and to pronounce blessings in his name as it is today. For this reason, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance like his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God told him. I stayed on the mountain, 40 days and 40 nights like the first time. The Lord also listened to me on this occasion. He agreed not to annihilate you. Then the Lord said to me, get up, continue your journey ahead of the people so that they may enter 
and possess the land I swore to give their fathers. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood is listener-supported. You can make a difference in the lives of those who hear these messages and in the lives of children at Wears Valley Ranch. We are grateful for gifts of any amount. Please visit us online at wvr.org. That's wvr.org. Or send in a donation to Wears Valley Ranch, 100 One Fine Place, Sevierville, Tennessee, 37862. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown Where Jesus is And is holding out his hand There are some things we would rather not remember. All of us, as we look back over our lives, have certain things that are embarrassing. Some things that are not just embarrassing, they are painful perhaps shameful. And we'd rather not be reminded. I'm not planning on sharing a list of my remembrances with you. I will tell you that I had some conversations with the Lord this week, reviewing my life and being reminded, even in the wee hours of the night, about how desperately I need God's grace. A lot of us would like to just forget. We rewrite the narrative. In counseling, we talk about narratives and people's way of fashioning things in a more acceptable manner. God has a way of bringing us back to the truth. When Moses threw down the Ten Commandments, broke the stone tablets that God had given him, it was certainly a rash act of anger. But have you ever thought about why that was such a powerful thing? On the one hand, it's because God was the one who had made those tablets and written the law on there. But the law was a gift for the people down the mountain. A lot of us have such a perverted heart and outlook that we tend to see the law as this... (sighs) We wish somebody would break the law. We wish somebody would do away with it. But the law was a gift for the people of God. How many of you, men particularly, are inclined to try and assemble things without reading the instructions? Within the last five years, there was a national news story about a man whose dream was to buy a really nice Corvette. He died in the Corvette because of the heat. The doors locked. He didn't know how to get out. He tried all kinds of things 
to release the lock, to open the door. He couldn't get it to work. Apparently, he did not have the key to start the car. He was just sitting there luxuriating in his dream come true. But it turned from luxuriating to basting. And as he became more and more panicked, he got out the manual and began reading, trying to find how to get out of the car. When they found him, he was just a few pages away from where he could have read how easily he could have opened the door and gotten out. Let me tell you something. If you don't think it's a gift for the creator of the universe to tell people, this is what I want. Do this and live. Don't do this and you'll be destroyed. If those represent what's at stake, the law is a gift. It's a gift. But I'll tell you something. You and I can never be saved by keeping the law. Because all of us fall short. All of us have sinned. Our only hope is Jesus. But what the law does as a gift from God is to show us our need for a Savior. And we have multitudes of people, tragically multitudes in our churches, who think that basically God ought to be glad if we show up. You know, hey, God, I'm going to give you a little time this week. You can thank me later. I got a business deal coming up, and I want to be in good with you. There are people who think that somehow God is in our debt instead of realizing we can't draw our next breath apart from his kindness. And so three points this morning. First of all, even though there are some things we would like to forget, there are times when God says to us, remember? Look at verse 7 of chapter 9. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God in the wilderness. You have been rebelling against the Lord from the day you left the land of Egypt until you reach this place. That's an indictment. You and I do well to remember that we keep messing up. The number one place where I mess up, uh, right here, it's with saying things that are not from the Lord, not pleasing to Him. I can think back to so many times when I said things in conversation, hoping to connect, hoping to be clever, hoping, and it wasn't. And I've had to repent and claim God's forgiveness. But it isn't just the devil who reminds me of my faults. It is the mercy of God that calls me to repentance and that reminds me how desperately I need a mediator. Point number two, 
Moses' intercession is an example of God's provision of a mediator. Moses is given the opportunity by God to do something that is Christ-like. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, as he was being stoned to death as the first Christian martyr, prayed, Father, do not lay this charge to their account. Interceding, being a mediator, points to Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. If you want to know why Jesus came, it was because apart from him, we would have been destroyed. I want to be very clear. Some people, including the celebrity pastor in Atlanta, likes to say that the Old Testament God is kind of this, you know, vengeful, angry God, and the New Testament God is a loving, kind, gracious God. He needs to read this book. He really does. Because in the Old Testament, we see God's wrath and his mercy, his compassion. And what do we find in the New Testament? We find that when the beloved Son of God took our guilt on himself, he died on a cruel cross saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if you want to see very clearly what the wrath of God looks like, read the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the New Testament. And if you find that just too, mm, I don't want to go there, just give me John chapter 3. Okay, I will. Take a look. John chapter 3. What's he going to quote? Well, John 3.16, of course. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Next verse. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that through him the world might be saved. Last verse. Verse 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son, better translated, does not obey the Son, will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God in John 3. The wrath of God in John 3.16. Except Jesus came to bear the wrath of God. That's why it says, whoever believes in him will not perish. You and I can rewrite it, sanitize it to our view, but all we're doing is engaging in insanity 
We're embracing a psychotic rewrite of Christianity that will not save us when we stand before a holy God. If you don't like the God of the Bible, you need to repent because he's the only God who is God. And therefore, it is a mercy, it is a grace, it is a kindness, it is a gift that God gives us his law and calls us to repentance and provides for us a mediator. The third point. The salvation of God's people is because we're so cute. No. Well, it's, it's because God's just, you know, he can't stay angry for long. I mean, you know, he tries, but it's like a grandparent. You know, I mean, sometimes the kids, you know, get a little wild, you know, but, but we can't stay angry. No, that's not the reason. The reason God saves his people is for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. You got a problem with that? Read the book. Talk to him. This was the basis of Moses' prayer. Moses says, Lord, if you don't spare these people and bring them into the promised land, the folks back in Egypt and the nations along the way and the folks who were living in Canaan are going to say, God hated these people and he wasn't able to save them. So for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your name, have mercy on these people. I know they're rebellious. I know they're stiff-necked. I know they keep doing the wrong thing. But have mercy on them and bring them in for the glory of your name. Well, okay, well, you know, that, that's, you know that's, that's the Jews, all right? Yeah, that was the Jews. But it's us too. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. It's not about us. We are his creation. He has redeemed us. He has shown us magnificent mercy and grace. But folks, we owe him everything. 
It is amazing that he loves us. It's not as if he doesn't, but it's not as if we earned it. Jesus came to bear the Father's wrath because the Father loves us. He doesn't just love us because of what Jesus did. Jesus did what he did because the Father loves us. It was the Father's plan, and His Son was fully yielded. You and I owe Him everything. Not just a lot, we owe Him everything. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number. 866-41-ABIDE or contact us on the web at wvr.org.